Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Brandy Chastain. I'm Jimmy Crucci, Trash Can Conrad, alongside Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies and Hollywood Heath Pierce. And boys, we got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, we got a recap for all the players in our player pool and their games this respective weekend. And then, and then we have, uh, you know, the U20 World Cup draw just happened. We can get into that, of course, and the U.S.'s chances moving forward. But there's a sporting director that's been announced announced for, well, officially going to be announced tomorrow. Apparently, there's a big press conference. But uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited that there's some movement. Uh, l- let's leave the name aside. Just that there's some movement. We're, we're moving and trending in the right direction. We had nowhere else to go but up. But uh, I'm excited about this. Uh, not as much as I am excited to see Charlie Davies in a Rangers jersey wearing a green jacket over that. Uh, I don't know. Yes. I upset both fans, both Celtic and Rangers. Fans. I don't <laughs> yeah. even know how that's possible. But but uh, great to see you, Chuck. Yeah, great to see you guys too. And I'm excited to talk about this hire um, that I said was underwhelming. And it seems like there are, there are people out there who think I'm I'm uh, I I would I'm not excited that U.S. soccer went in a different direction, which I am. But it, it, either way, if you're looking at his pedigree, that's underwhelming to me given what's in front of, of us soccer, a world cup coming here for, for both men's and potentially for women's uh, Olympics. There's a lot of, of excitement going in positivity, going in the right direction, but there's nothing that screams. This is the, the right hire is in terms of his, his CV. If you look at his history now, he's been at Southampton for, for three years. Some people are like, Oh, he's, he didn't oversee Mauricio Pochettino. He didn't oversee Ronald Coleman. It's not, or Claude Puel. It's Raf Husantel, and they've been in 15th place, 15th place, and 20th with Ruben Sellis now. 
So it, it that's not something to go, oh, he's in the Premier League, he's at Southampton. That's that means he's he checks the box. No, that 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 doesn't scream, yeah, we're we've done it, US soccer, we're going in the right direction. <laughs> no, but part of me is this looks like an engagement photo, by the way. That is- yeah, on the <laughs> yeah. Um, it's more like Bachelor. Um, yeah. Oh, that is true. That's a good shout. It's a, it's a good Bachelor photo. But yeah. I, I will say, in terms of going in a new direction uh, with a voice that we haven't heard, and he obviously he has an experience in Europe, I like that. I'm excited about that. I'm glad that U.S. soccer went down that path. Ultimately, we're not going to grade him until we see what direction he's going to go in. What's his hire? What, who's his first hire? Is that the GM? What's what are the candidates for the head coaching role in his mind? What what's the best coach for this group? How do we get to a World Cup semifinals? That because ultimately that that's the goal with this group of players and and this pool. We should be aiming for a World Cup semifinals on home soil. So I won't make a judgment on him until I start to see who he's hiring and and wh- how he thinks about. U.S. soccer as a whole, because it's the men's and the women's program. I understand that they both have to be searching for success and reaching for the highest of goals. So um, when I say underwhelming, I, I think I, I am I have every right to feel that way. And, I, and I'm sure you guys feel that way. And in, 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 a, in, a, in terms of the name, it's not the shiny. I have proven winner medals behind me, which is which is, I think what we should be going after. Obviously this is a step in the right direction, but not the loftiest step, which, which is what I think, um, I think justifies my, my reaction to this hire. Yeah. Welcome to the Charlie Davies podcast, everybody. Please we got special please. guest Heath Pierce on right now. Yeah. I was, didn't, I was, I was triggered. Hey, I was just, triggered. Hey, I was just get off of like a seven hour show. You still yeah, got something yeah, to say. Man. Wow. Jesus. Come for all man. of us. Keith, welcome to Charlie's podcast. What, Thank uh, you. what do you got to say on this? Hey, tell me I'm wrong. Hey. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> We're going to get there, but easy. Let's just ease into it a little bit. <laughs> I guess before I be, I mean, I, I want to ask Charlie a follow-up, but maybe I'll just give my, 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 uh, my, well, you my, won't, you won't get the mic back for three minutes. So maybe. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm afraid I, I'm afraid I'm going to get to the end of the show before I get a chance to talk again. You know, uh, no, look, I, 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 for me, underwhelming, I think for sure, given the context of, of currently what he's, he's, he's done in his, his job. Right. I think when you look at the the range of experience that he has coming from the England FA, uh, I think when you when you re- recognize the fact that he the role is overseeing all teams, youth teams included, he's got a he's got vast experience at the youth level. I will give credit for thinking differently. I think it, it would have been easier to actually default to an American um, who who may or may not have the same experience, but would definitely know the culture, know the players, know what we're going with. I think this has some merit because this is a guy who's dealt with a lot of youth coming from a club that that was also fundamental to developing young players. We have a very young national team. So when you when I think about the pipeline from our youth, which is the best it's ever been, it's only going to get better up to our first team that's full of young players, speaking specifically on the men's side. Um, even on the women's side, it's getting younger and younger in terms of the players we're bringing into the national team or at scale. I, I do like that... Um, just that those experiences. Having said that, when I compare him to, I'm not sure who else was actually in the running. Chuck, maybe you have insights, or Jimmy, you have insights into who else was in the running or who the finalists were. It's hard for me to say it was a bad decision. We'll see based on his decisions on who's the coach, 
right? For the men's team. Where, where are we heading moving forward? Who's the GM in terms of where we're going? So I think there's a long ways to go. Um, I guess I would leave it with this. It was a curveball to me because I'd never even heard of him before he got this job. Um, but there's a lot of people I haven't heard of, right, that are doing great things at great clubs that might not fit within my world. So uh, I'm just happy that we're making a decision because I was worried that it was going to go on for another three, four months. So welcome to my podcast. Jimmy, go ahead. Yes, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I just want to give context to, to Matt Crocker. He spent uh, – uh, before he became sporting director at Southampton, he was actually at the club from 2006 to 2013 as the academy manager. And apparently during that time, he oversaw the development of a couple names we might be familiar with, Gareth Bale, uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Luke Shaw, James Ward-Prowse, who's still at the club doing good things as the captain. And then uh, prior to these these three years of being with the club, he, as, as uh, Heath mentioned, he was with the English FA, he oversaw the U15, U17, and U20 English national teams on both the men and the women's side. So that answers a bit of your question there, Charlie. And during this time, it included England's men's wins at the U17 and U20 World Cups in 2017 and their European championship that they won at the U19 level that same year. He has been, I guess, tagged with helping the FA establish the England DNA, the playing and coaching strategy within the national team setups and, and has worked closely with uh, Dan Ashworth and Gareth Southgate uh, before he took over at Southampton. So, and then I guess there with Ralph Husenhuddle, they created this, uh, this SFE, SFC playbook, Southampton FC playbook, which just talked about how any, any of the trainings that were going on at the first team that was going to have to be, or that was going to be also applied and used at the lowest levels or the youngest levels, excuse me. And this sounds similar in some ways to what Jurgen Klinsmann was promising when he took over with vertical integration. If we have, we're playing in a 4-3-3 and our number nine is being asked to do these three or four things, then our number nine at the U15 level has got to be doing the same thing. And I remember after that was said that it just took a while to implement that type of vision because you're just going to get a cl different collection of players that have different skill sets and, and playing in a 4-3-3 might not be what's best for our U15s and the players that are at top in their age group at that time. A 4-4-2 might be more, uh, whatever. I'm just using that as an example. But I remember those were some of the pain points uh, during that, that, that vertical integration type promise that Jurgen Klinsmann said he was going to deliver. And, and ultimately, I don't think he did. But but in fairness to him, I just think it's hard to say, all right, we, we're going to go identify these types of players. Because what if you're handed a different type of player? So I'm very curious to see how Matt Crocker comes in and tries to implement that kind of SFC playbook to a national team setup. Obviously, he's got great experience with FAs. I think his his vision and, and, and model that he's already created, both at club and country level, looks pretty impressive. That's where I think... We're going to gain a what, lot of what, what, what lot looks impressive, Jimmy. What looks well, impressive? they've had success. You're asking for trophies. The guys won a U17, a U20 World Cup, and a U19 European Championship on okay. the, with the youth. So, so you're asking for trophies. This guy's got it, but it's in the youth level. It doesn't mean it's translated to the to the national or to to yeah. the full team. I also will add that with Southampton, if if I get a little cynical, they're the worst team in the Premier League. And his fingerprints are on that. Now I know that Southampton changed ownership about a year and a half ago, and he'd already mentioned he was going to be done at the end of the season back in December. And, and so it was already part of the transition. Now, Jesse Marsh also had mentioned that Southampton is still trying to figure things out. And that's why he didn't want to take the job immediately after being let go from Leeds. So, so there's a lot there to, yeah, to take there's a, a lot there. There's a lot there, Jimmy. And, and that's why I, I think <laughs> when I, when I come, when I look at this, what, what part of you goes, 
yes, this is, I'm so hyped. <laughs> maybe, maybe the, the only part of, of the equation is that they finally took that step of hiring someone. And I, I like that it's outside of that U S known um, commodity in terms of, of whether they've been involved as a player or coach, whatever it is outside of that vision. So you have a different vantage point when looking at you at, at, at the program. So I'm, I'm all for it. I wanted a foreigner. I, I want higher standards. That's, that's what I'm pushing is let's not limit ourselves. Like people keep saying, Chuck is crazy. Why, why does he think we should be pushing for World Cup? Why wouldn't you? Do you want to just settle for getting out of the group or getting to the next round of knockouts, getting to the, the quarterfinals and that's the goal? No. So why not push for the, the biggest signing? And, and I get there are a number of candidates that said, oh, I'm not leaving my job for this. Yeah, I'm, that one, I'm not going to get paid enough. And it's just, it's not a job that I see myself leaving. So maybe that, that limits who you can go and get. I understand that. Um, but in terms of me feeling underwhelmed, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, that's not going to change. So, so Heath, I don't know if you're picking up what I'm picking up, but uh, this guy hasn't even made one decision, and Charlie hates him. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't feel like the same. The reality not is, not yet. I'm yeah. waiting for that. I said that. It depends on who he hires, what direction he goes in. Are we going to go with an American manager, or are we going to go with someone foreign, just like him, to to manage this group? Yeah, I didn't even need the I, comments I, to trigger yeah. you this time, Chuck. I'm, I got I'm, you. I'm I got already you triggered. I came in triggered, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, what I what I will say on this is is we're looking through the lens of the men's national team. His job is not the men's national. Yes. Team, I'm looking right? at the women's national team as well. Just yeah. So you know. But I'm looking also at the youth national teams and the ambition of a unique candidate that has the youth experience. That's one thing at the youth experience. We can't expect our, our, our men's national team to win a world cup. If we aren't doing something at the youth level, right? You don't just skip and get up there and go, well, you know, we're ready. Uh, like it's going to have to have this sort of connective tissue to, we are pushing players through um, and that's not on necessarily the development that's going to come at the club level, but in the national teams to be competitive. And so I think he does bring at least a unique background, maybe not, maybe not the most um, exciting background, Charlie. Or accomplished. Yeah. But, but it is a unique one in the fact that he comes in with, with some youth experience, boys and girls, men's and women's. And I think that's important. <laughs> and then I think he also comes in um, with the idea of, partially bringing all of that together. Some of it's going <laughs> to, oh man, uh, just the photo in that, uh, of, yeah, of, of life, life of Bree. Yeah. It's great. But yeah, I, 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 I'm at least excited that we now get to judge somebody differently because we ne won't necessarily agree with them being the perfect candidate, but better than what could have been. And us just going like, oh man, like that person we know, like what's the upside here, right. Of, of an, uh, of, of somebody that maybe has been part of the system that, that feels like, uh, yeah, even, even a, as much underwhelming. So, yeah. So, so Chuck, just uh, did Oguchi and Yewu, did he end up, did Gucci end up getting interviewed for this? And, and yes, in, in, he, yes, he did. He did get okay. uh, interviewed for this. He was in the final rounds actually, uh, for, for this role. So uh, I know he was among the people being considered, but I still think, and I've always thought that Gucci would be a, an incredible GM for this team. 
given his player experience, given that he speaks all these different languages, given that he's been a player in the youth system, he's been uh, overseas playing in, in Champions League clubs. Uh, he has good relationships overseas. He knows how the youth system works um, over there as well as just a, how to manage a sporting director, a, a, a manager from these different clubs to get clubs uh, to players over here and having that relationship be symbiotic. So for me, Gooch would be a, an incredible hire as the GM, even though the sporting director would probably, you'd say, not enough experience at that level to manage this this group and, and oversee the U.S. women's and men's program, fine. But as a, as a GM for the men's team, I think he is a top, top candidate if you're going to be uh, higher an American. And, and I, do you, I, do you, you know, did, did, did he, it, so when he went into interview and I'm absolutely buzzing, he got to the final rounds there. Did he interview for both positions then, or I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I know for sure the sporting director was, was in the role and then it's, uh, you know, you do, want do you think, someone wait, wait, before you go there, do you think there, yeah. because, because I think there's this weird, not weird, might not be the right, but, but there's like, we don't want to hire somebody from within, but we, but we do want to hire somebody within because they know how the game has worked here. They've gone through the system. You know what I mean? It's kind of that weird thing. Yeah. So, so I, I wonder what you want. I mean, obviously we all know that Gooch would be excellent at the GM spot to your point, but does it having Matt Crocker, a different voice that's kind of been outside of the bubble, let's call it the U S soccer bubble could be a good thing. That's that's refreshing in a lot of different ways. Maybe we needed that balance. So it wasn't so like everybody's BFFs that can text each other when things aren't going well or whatever. 100% Jimmy. So I, I, like I said, I wanted somebody with a different perspective who, who has had success overseas to be the sporting director I see. for both the men and women's program. Uh, fact. That is what I wanted to see. So I'm happy they took that step. That's a big step to, to break away from the, the people that we've typically seen being rumored to, to take this role. So awesome. When you go with Matt Crocker, now who's going to be the GM and who's going to be the manager? What direction is he going to go in for the U.S. Women's National Team program? I would like to like, like the hire of him. I'd like to see someone who is not associated to those names. Someone new. Mm -hmm. Go Gooch is someone who obviously knows everyone within U.S. soccer, but he's not a part of that group. That's mm -hmm. why he hasn't been hired for anything. He's had arguably arguably one of the, the longest, most extensive and, and, and unique playing careers as, as an American, yet hasn't been hired by anyone because he's not in that group. But ultimately, right, right. We, I think we want to see someone who has a different viewpoint. Who is who is not typically going to be associated to this role? Not a typical name that we have. Someone new who's going to push push the boundaries and who who has relationships. So I think Matt Crocker probably won't get that higher wrong as a GM, right? Because right. whether it's someone he knows already overseas that would be perfect for the role. He's already worked in the, under the England English FA. That that's probably not a worry at all. I'm really curious though where they go. For the head coach for the U.S. US men's well, so what, so what his, hold on before you go there though, I, I feel like you're gonna you're gonna get back on the Matt Crocker train. Not that you're on it at any point, but you will yeah. if he hires Oguchi Anyewu as the general manager. Then it's all in on Matt Crocker. I'm gonna absolutely love that. That's well, what I'm picking okay. up, everybody. I'll That's tell you right I'm now, Jimmy Gooch is also out outside of the box. I know He's he not is. gonna hire someone who who's been recycled through 
the years, whether it's an MLS or youth national teams or, or, you know, just been in the, these circles, they, I think the hire is very good from that sense. What I'm saying is Matt Crocker as a name, as a CV, that's underwhelming to me. That's all. But I, I'm excited that U.S. soccer took this step, that it is a new, fresh look, which, I, which was very much needed. Do you think that there was any, I'm sure as they looked at the list of candidates that were out there, mm-hmm. if you're a big name in the, in, the, in the sport and you have the CV that I think you're looking for, Chuck, I would drop probably a text to, to Ernie Stewart and be like, hey, what do you think about this U.S. soccer job? And I bet you he's going like dumpster fire. You know, and they're like, nah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not going to touch that <laughs> yeah. thing. You know what I mean? And so, so yeah, um, yeah you're going to do, like, if you're, if you're a candidate, you're going to have your formal avenues to try to understand what's asked the job. You're going to talk to the right people that are very professional in their answers. And then you're going to go to your goddamn buddies. They're going to be like, dude, do not touch that job with a 10 foot pole because of X, Y, and Z, right? There's that, there's the perception of the job and then there's the reality of the job. And I, I think, Maybe that works against us right now just because of all the things that have been surrounding the team and the fact that we're only a few years out from hosting a World Cup and we don't have anybody in any meaningful positions. But that's starting to change, Chuck. That is starting to change. All right, we're going to take our first break of In Soccer We Trust. Hopefully, Heath Pierce will come back and join us. But if he doesn't, it's just going to be me and Chuck the rest of the way. we got to talk about Leeds because we got some Leeds stuff to talk about. They took on a couple Americans with Fulham. They lost again. And, uh, yeah, we got more to get into, so do not go anywhere. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, welcome back to In Soccer. We trust if, like us, you're a fan of the European game, make sure to check out another great podcast in the CBS Sports Podcast family, House of Champions, with our friends Ian Paul Joy, Fabrizio Romano, Nigel Rio Coker, Michael LaHood, James Ben, Ben, James Benj, Jonathan Johnson, and they're going to unpack the biggest games and storylines from the top five leagues as they do, and of course, the greatest competition on earth, the Champions League and beyond. House of Champions has you covered. So download and subscribe to the House of Champions podcast anywhere you find this beautiful podcast. And now let's get into it, Chuck. Wait, wait, wait. One sec. What? I, I got I to ask you guys this question because it's burning. Do it, do it, do burning, it. burning. It's burning inside of me. So if Matt Crocker decides to go with Jesse Marsh, mm-hmm. which, which I think most any American hire would have done the same thing. And would would that be right or wrong for uh, him to make that hire? Would you think that is too easy for him because he was going to hire him at Southampton and and Jesse didn't even want it because of the volatility and and probably because of the the language of the contract and just because it was probably a, a lose lose situation? Or do you think that he should not go in that direction and hire someone different and new that we have not been? Not that Jesse is is not hasn't been with the U.S. soccer before, but just someone new who we think could push the boundaries. Would you be would you be excited if he hired Jesse Marshall? Would you go? That is the most predictable 
higher I think I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Go ahead, Heath. Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. I mean, it's been a while since I had internet troubles, but here we are. Uh, it's like the uh, you know the injury, <laughs> like X days since injuries uh, on the wall type of thing in the workplace. You know, and it's back to zero again. So um, yeah, uh, I think that is a predictable hire. Ultimately, it comes down to I, I'm not saying Jesse's a bad option, uh, but it comes down to the, the the pool of of who's available, right? And I think they're doing the right thing of getting to summer to see how things pan out to give themselves the best chance possible chance at your uh, talent pool to to find the right next person. In the same way that I like that they took this time. Now, if they take four months and hire Jesse Marsh, I'm gonna be like, oh, are you serious? Like. Are you serious? Like we've got very limited amount of time. And if you're just going to go that route, just hire the guy and let's get on with it. But if you're going to take the time, let's see what that, that, that talent pool is uh, to see what's out there. I think Jesse Marsh could be a good option uh, for this team, but you know, we are comparing that to uh man city get deducted points and uh, Pep Guardiola becomes the coach because he doesn't want to be there anymore after coming off winning the treble. Like there's, there's the scale uh, perspectives that we're looking at that it's hard to, to, Imagine a world where it's like Jesse Marsh versus Peter Vermees versus, you know, Jim Curtin. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at. So, again, it comes down to that talent pool and, and, and how they compare and contrast. But would it be a lazy option? I don't think so. Uh, it could be philosophically, if they align, it could be a good option, right? As opposed to maybe not being philosophically aligned. Well, I think, I, I think that's interesting. Well, I guess maybe they up. weren't philosophically aligned. <laughs> well, no, no. When he was at Southampton, maybe... maybe... Jesse did like Matt Crocker, but because Matt Crocker was leaving and it had already announced that he was leaving at the end of the season, that maybe made it uncertain for Jesse to want to be a part of the project because of maybe he was a fan of Matt Crocker and what he had built with Ralph Husen Huddle and kind of that vertical integration that we were talking about. So maybe now that Matt's making his move to U.S. soccer, Jesse would want to follow. I get the sense from the conversations I've had with Jesse that he's just not ready for the national team job. He wants to stay in the club scene. He loves the day-to-day -day and the grind and the adventure that, that that's presented there. Mm -hmm. So I'd be honestly, just from my own personal perspective, I don't think Jesse takes this job. Uh, I, I think it's going to go to somebody else. And, and if that's the case, then I think that we should wait through the summer to see which managers are available uh, once the European season ends. I think that's prudent. I think we've put in enough time now just to wait a couple more months to see who might uh, want a bite of the cherry. And I think it's actually good timing that We've hired this guy now because at least there's somebody that can speak about the path forward for the U.S. men's national team. And hopefully there'll be a general manager that's getting hired not too yes. far after this. So that so that we have sporting director, maybe in the next couple of weeks, in a month, we have a general manager. And then those two people can speak expertly about the path. And that will really, I think, hopefully give some confidence and some certainty to whoever wants to take on the job that these guys know what the hell they're doing. Because right now, it doesn't look like we know what the hell we're doing. Spot um, on, Jimmy. That's a grand slam. Grand Thanks, buddy. Grand slam. Um, Jimmy grand, grand slams. slams. Jimmy grand <laughs> slams. Jimmy grand slams. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, all, all handled. The, 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 the last thing I wanted to say about that, uh, Jimmy, is just it feels good to know that there's somebody's in there for right or wrong that's going to make and be accountable for making big yes. decisions. And it's not going to be necessarily important. by committee. It's not going to be by the people that are there already. They've done their job to hire this guy. Can we lose, and then from there, he's got to he's got to he's got to make some decisions. Got it, got it. Sorry, I checked out a little bit there. My internet's also acting a little wonky. I wish Chuck would pay the bills for us to have uh, better <laughs> Wi-Fi here at his, 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 his at the places we uh, rent from him. All right, let's do a little weekend recap. Obviously, uh, 
Uh, some some results uh, going around. The one I think that's most scary, I think, from a U.S. perspective is a couple of our players on Leeds United. Brendan Aronson got the start. Again, Weston McKinney got the start. Tyler Adams looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season, which is not a good look because Leeds is running to the end is going to be very, very difficult. And we're going to take a look at that very uh, in a little bit in terms of what we, us three, think are going to happen with Leeds overall. But they have a big game on Tuesday against Leicester City, who coming off a big win against Wolves after going down 1-0. That game is happening tomorrow on Tuesday. And that could have huge implications as to which one of those two clubs is going to stay up and which one is going to go down. And so... Chuck, I'll come to you as our morning footy resident. I know you've already had probably a little bit of a head start in this this topic with regard to Leeds. Brendan Aronson, you know, hasn't really in the position that he is playing underneath more central, maybe not having as many goal contributions or even setting up plays and being as dangerous as I think we all want and hope for him. And I know that we all know that he's capable of, but can he do it consistently? And then Weston McKinney, maybe being played out of position, asked to be doing things that really isn't things he likes to do or instinctually doesn't like to do. But I know he's getting slaughtered by Leeds fans. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's been unfortunate for a couple of our players. And I think I think the big winner out of all this is Tyler Adams. Everybody's like, we love Tyler Adams. We miss Tyler Adams. But uh, the sacrifice for that might be Leeds going down to the championship. But what are your thoughts on Leeds overall? And do you think they have a chance to stay up, Chuck? Uh, I mean, they do have a chance. It, it's tight. I mean, we, we looked at their schedule. It's <sighs> Leicester City. Uh, you know, uh, you would ideally like to see them beat Leicester City, but you know, them winning against Wolves this past weekend, I was I was shocked because they went down a goal, and it, it would be very easy just to break after that. But they came back and battled back. So I think with Dean Smith as the, the new manager, it feels like they have that new bounce. We have this belief they're getting that foundation foundation right. At Bournemouth, you need to win. Bournemouth are shocking. So it you know, it terms that Bournemouth are starting to turn around turn around at the the right time. It feels like it's a win or a loss type of, of game. If you draw you're going down. You're losing against City, you're losing against Zeus Castle. I think West Ham have, have finally turned it around as well. So you hope that they get a draw, but it's not looking good. It is not. It's not looking good. I said Dragon Tottenham just because they got absolutely thrashed this weekend. But um, hey, I, man, Chuck's Go going ahead, hard he... on Bournemouth. Man, Bournemouth beat yeah, Fulham. Yeah. They beat Liverpool. They beat Leicester City. They beat Spurs. Uh, I will say though, based on on what we're looking at here, at least we all have have uh, nobody losing to Spurs on the final day of the season. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Leeds Leeds going to get some kind of result uh, in this one. But yeah, they've got a. It's actually what I think is a is a decently balanced schedule where you're able to look at like, look, City, Newcastle are going to be tough ones, but West Ham who've who've, who've been um, who've been um, solid. They've like been, you can look, yeah, last you know, week or two, yeah. Uh, you know that there might be a result somewhere in there, and then Spurs at the end of the season. So it's going to. I do think that they'll be in it all the way down to the very end. Bournemouth, Bournemouth were like 33 points, and I think they've lost two in their last three, but like you know, only lost those in their last five, two in their last five. So. Um, they're probably looking at that as like we get the result right now. Uh, we're safe for the for the season. Um, but that's gonna come that that I agree with Charlie's that's the game. Uh yeah, so, I, so so if they get five points, which is what Jimmy thinks, I think six, you think eight. Is that enough to stay up in your mind? My, no, I have them going down. Yeah. I I mm-hmm. just I I there's nothing I've seen from Javi Garcia as the manager who started off, they had a little bit of a new manager bounce, but the last couple games have just been 
just lacking inspiration, I guess is the best way. They've given up 13 goals in their last three games. And they take on a Leicester team that just won for the first time in nine. And I've got this crazy stat for everybody just so we can have a good laugh. Uh, despite that victory against Wolves, Leicester remain the only team in England's, or excuse me, Europe's big five leagues without a clean sheet following the World Cup break. They have conceded in each of their 17 games in that time. And the only team, the only team to have conceded more in that period are Leeds. <laughs> and they don't have a goal scorer. That's that's oh the problem. Oh, my God. Um, this is like, and this when I was like looking a 3-3 game in Ellen Road tomorrow night. For some reason, when I was looking at that Bournemouth game, I was thinking it was Nottingham Forest. And Nottingham Forest, I think, is is really bad. Yeah, but um, I I think just Leeds just don't have a goal score. There's not they're not threatening enough. Mm-hmm. So it it's almost like you they might be able to play a little bit and and defend and counter, but it's countering into nothing. And then you and then you don't once you do have possession, they don't know what their what the goal is. They they don't have yeah. the direction or a plan. So I think they are going down. I think yeah, I, 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 I just I got Southampton, Forest, and and Leeds going down. I think Everton and Leicester will stay up. Yeah, that's the my it's my worry though. It's just from the form. Look, I I think I think um, Forest are going down. Uh, but when I when I think about Everton, when I think about Leicester, Everton's one where it's just like you just look at them and you go, it's Everton, right? Eventually, you go you go into every game going like ah, they're gonna find their way. They're gonna find their way. But when you go this far into the season, you haven't found your way. That's a that's a that that's a signal of something uh, bigger where it's not just a bad season. That I just worry for them and Leicester. One of them, I think, is not going to figure it out. So I think one of them stays, and it's going to come down to I think the final day between uh, Leeds and and um, and and Leicester and Everton of who's going to be that third team. I mean, obviously, we're looking at the table, and that's what it's come down to. But I think one of those teams will will, will hit two wins and and be clear. Um, and I see Leeds having to do something spectacular again. I, I hope Leeds does it for obvious reasons, yeah. but. Um... But they are not. They, they're I not mean, good. they're not fun to watch. I know, and Stop. they give up a lot of chances, and they they're go through windows where they defend shocking. really strong, and then all of a sudden, in the transition play, it just looks like they eleven players never played together uh, instead of just having some sort of solid game plan. So it's going to be a tough one. Maybe I'm just a little like uh, positive on them just because we've got so much invested in them. But yeah, you, you might be. What, right do you think? How much? How much? I guess the the additional question to this, and Chuck, I'll come to you, is how much responsibility. Does Jesse Marsh take for where they are currently? Um, because he actually, the signings that they made for him in January, he didn't even really get to use because they fired him right after the January transfer window closed. So he couldn't even really implement a new style or, or seamlessly transition these guys into the team. And obviously, it's as I mentioned before, Tyler Adams being out for this. I mean, they just things just get unlocked, right? They're now yeah. giving up so many more chances defensively. You got... Mark Roca and Weston, who are trying to play that double pivot, but are more, I feel like they're more number eights than they are sixes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love Jesse. Um, and, and I'm sure he would take the responsibility that he deserves, but I don't think he needs to take any extra for for how things are playing out now. No, but th- that's the reason why they're in the position they're in, is because Jesse made these signings and that's the style they played. And they didn't have a striker. Patrick Bamford hasn't what hasn't been good he, and and when he was healthy and and he's been in and out and so when you when you sell Rafinha who obviously is a, a big time player you, you didn't necessarily bring in someone who's going to pick up the slack like Rafinha who was proven in the in the Premier League so you you can't look at any anyone else Jesse Marsh is the one who was running you know steering the ship and you could say give him time to turn it around but 
they the 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 front office decided to make a, a decision quick because they they felt like it wasn't getting better. And you we heard players say, "Hey, we finally can play the play. We don't have to rush." It's it's not an attractive style and never was something where you're saying, "Oh, this is great to watch. They're keeping the ball, it's dynamic. It's always hectic, always hectic." And you have to be able to to differentiate your style between matches. You can't play the same way every single time. That's it that's not how our sport works. You got to be able to mix it up and change tactics and change formations and 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 adapt. And and I just don't think Jesse did that well enough um, with, with leads. So it, I think it's smart for him not to just take any job that's been thrown to him. Cause he's been linked to so many different, different jobs and, and it, they've all been in panic mode, right? So you come in, maybe you save the day. You looked at as a hero short term, mm-hmm. nothing long-term, but the problems still exist. And so how do you have enough time to get rid of all of those problems in a two month window and ideally you probably just want to get it in one month so that you can have a proper preseason with your team and implement your tactics and your style to have a, a different type of season the following season. It's a very difficult uh, proposition for, for a, a manager that comes in to, to kind of be the fire extinguisher. So I think it's a good thing that he waits, gets a, a, a new coaching gig that is in a top division somewhere and not and, and at a, the start of a season the summer and build something not sticking to this Red Bulls philosophy. I want to see him grow, break out from, we're going to do the Gagan press every time. Because that is literally what he walked into at Red Bulls. Here's a book. I want you to press, do exactly what uh, we, we mm-hmm. did here with, with um, RB Leipzig. And from, from here on, this is your style. I want to see him break from that. Show me what his ideal style is his philosophy and, and building a team that is capable of, of being dynamic. Um, that, that would be what I would like to see from Jesse Marsh. Cause we know he's a good motivator and a speaker. That's one part of, of the job. The other part of the job is seeing the game for, for what it is being able to pick certain players to build around and build a style that is not geared towards long bogs, long balls, and just, we're going to be stay high up the field and just press. And, and there's no, there's no tactics really. We're just going to be ultra aggressive and, and go, go with the wind like that. That's just, that's not it for me. Yeah. Welcome to the Charlie Davis podcast. Uh, I I want to say also that uh, I don't know if the national team job would be the place where Jesse could evolve. Then if he wants to work on those types of tactics, To, to your point, Chuck, if he can continue to fine tune his methodology and, and, adapt right and and if okay plan a is not working how quickly can he get to plan b plan c and how how quickly can his players understand how to get to those things while they're in the moment and trying to solve do you do you agree do you agree with that well that's why i don't think he should take the national team i think that he should go get another job and continue to solve problems and to figure out okay i've gone through these experiences now at rb salzburg they're on the the heels of winning 10 consecutive austrian Bundesliga titles so so they're pretty self-made and and you know, are, are a well-oiled machine. You go to Leipzig, it doesn't, what, four or five months there, let go, go to Leeds, let go after 12 months. So, so yeah, I, I think there's going to be some time to reflect and, and what can I do to adapt to certain situations? And I don't know if he'd be able to find that. If he's, if the, for the journey that I think that he's on, I think he's 
still wants to learn and get out there. And I think cutting your teeth in the club game is going to be just another reason why I don't think he's going to take the national team job. Uh, Heath, what do you think about Jesse Marsh? And then, and then very quickly, before we get into our next and last break, when you think about the potential of, I, I think Weston McKinney will go back to Juventus if they get go down. Tyler Adams, I think, could potentially get sold somewhere else and he'll probably want the move. I wonder what's in their contracts. But Brendan Aronson, for me, is the one. If he stays at Leeds, do you think he would benefit from just being in the championship and, and getting more of those games and cutting his teeth uh, at a level where, at times, there's a lot of bypassing of the midfield? Uh, again, it depends on the system. I'll start with your second question, Jimmy. And this is where you should be asking Charlie 38 minutes into the, before the 40 <laughs> minute break so that you can get those, those, uh, those answers down. Uh, and, you know, we can come back can... to you after the break. Uh, I just wanted no, to like tease no, people. No, I think Brendan Aronson, it just depends on the system they want to play. I think he, he more and more shows. That I think there's parts of his games that, game that he can de- develop and continue to develop to, to play in different leagues. But I think he needs to play in that type of system or he needs to spend his time developing as a player. That's not, constantly catering to this idea of like where he's best on the field, right? High pressing Gagan press, creating that chaos higher up the field. That's uh, to the benefit of his team, because if that's one of his best attributes, which is great in the modern game, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. If it's in a team that's going to sit back or withstand pressure or not press together and those types of things, right? Because mm-hmm. there's other parts of his games that when it's chaotic, he, he's not great. So, um, I, I think that's a, a TBD on a number of factors uh, as to whether or not he, he should go down to the championship, but for, for Jesse Marsh, again, I think the national team, I think was maybe, I think was over, over coached uh, with this group. And I think that there is a simplicity needed not to go to the other extreme though. I don't think we need to go from super, super, super system only to, to now being like this free flowing, the players will figure it out type of thing. Cause it's still a young group and they still need guidance. So I think there's somewhere that needs to land in the middle in terms of the way that we're looking at that. I think Jesse Marsh can get there. I think he's got the right ideas in terms of how the team should, should press how they can sit back, how they can withstand pressure, having principles of uh, principles of play for for this particular group um, that I think he could do as well as as, as a number of coaches that are out there. Um, it's just again, like you said, I think it comes down to that ability to do you have that humility to be able to take a look at things differently, to be able to take a step back and say, hey, maybe it's not the way I've played, maybe it's not the way I'm most comfortable as a, as a manager, but these are the players that we have, and this is going to be gives us the best chance to develop this group and then get the results come World Cup time. Boom, 15 seconds late. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Heath Pierce, Mr. Efficient. All right, we're going to take our last break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we got some transfer news that I think will be of interest to a lot of fans of the U.S. men's national team. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. And Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davis and Heath Pierce. And Heath, we're going to come to you first. Oh, this, no this way. Charlie yeah, got gonna muted you, again, huh? Jeez, you got, Charlie's in timeout. There's going to be, uh, well, there's been some news, and I think this is interesting. There's there's uh, some news that Yunus Musa mm-hmm. has made mention that he's ready to to leave Valencia. Now, Valencia just had a big win this weekend against Elche, which keeps them on 30 points. They're still in the relegation zone. They got eight games left in Spain, but they're tied with Almeria. They have uh, 30 points as well. And then they have uh, Real Valladolid is like on 32 or 33. And Cadiz is also on 31 or 32 points. And they play, Valencia plays those two teams in the next two weeks. After that, Valencia's schedule gets a lot harder. They've got uh, Real Madrid, they got Villarreal. And it just, it's going to get a little bit more difficult for them to get the points. But those two next games, two upcoming games are going to be of super importance. Yunus got the start this weekend and it was a big, big win, which puts them back into it. But there's so much interest around Yunus Musa. And I know Charlie talked about it today on, on Morning Footy as well, about where he should go. 
But I wanted to get your thoughts on on the best fit for him. We're seeing Inter Milan. We're seeing Liverpool. We're seeing Arsenal. He spent seven years there as an academy player. You know, where would you like to see Eunice Musa go? Man, those are big clubs. But he's 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 honestly one of the few players I think in our national team pool that I'm not worried about putting him into those types of environments, right? If you watch him, even when he's not great for our national team over 90 minutes, you still look at him when he has the ball and you go, okay, that player is different, right? His level is is something a little bit different. I would love to see him go to Arsenal. I think we're getting close to that period where you guys, you guys still have me here. My thing just everything's oh. going wrong with me today. Can you hear me? Yeah, you, you sound great. Yeah, You're looking great. Keep wild. Um, yeah, I, it, it's tough again to, to say what that right club is because it's about contractual situations and needs, right? If you're coming in to have to challenge because you're you're depth in a squad, if, if if Arsenal end up and when they end up winning the Premier League title, I don't know if that's the right situation for him there. Uh, but a lot of that's about you know outgoing and incoming for him. I think he could go to a big club, but I don't think he should be going into one that has five or six midfielders. He's going to have to fight his way through. I like his odds more than most players in our national team pool to go into a big club and prove themselves at this age with his experience and 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 win out um, or get consistent matches. But um, I'm just I, I I do think he needs to get out of that club and maybe go to somewhere that has a little more visibility and, and a little bit higher. I mean, he's in pressure now because they're fighting relegation and it's a massive club Valencia, but um, I'd love to see him. Yeah. Premier League could work well for him. Cause I think he's got, he's got the, all the, all of the, the, the tools that we've discussed a number of times to, to, to be successful there. Now, Chuck, you said on morning footy this morning, I was tuning in uh, before I hopped on to, to, basically take an L for my, my wagers this past weekend. We don't have to get into that side of it. Uh, you had mentioned that that plane in Italy might be a better fit for him because, and I like this thought just because, because in Spain, there's a more of an emphasis on keeping the ball. And I think we see that in Italy as well. Whereas in the Premier League, not this isn't for every team, but, but I would say generally it's just a hundred miles an hour all the time. And maybe there isn't that time to put your foot on the ball and play. And we think that's when Yunus Musa. Uh, is that his best when he's got a little bit more of that um, uh, possession-based coaching or, or team around him? What, what uh, you still agreeing with that now that the cameras aren't rolling for morning footy? Oh, absolutely. Um, Inter and, and Milan are two clubs that I think he'd be a good fit in. Milan, you know, with Sandro Tonali playing as more of a defensive midfielder, but Ishmael Benacer, I, I would stack stack up Yunus Musa with Ishmael Benacer. And Rade Krunic is a, a a solid Croatian midfielder, two way more. I'd say more defensive than than attacking, but that's a place where I think Yunus Musa could thrive in in that in that system and playing with that team. Oh, give me Yunus Musa all day. Same with Inter. Um, you know, Roma. I I could see him fitting in in there as well. Juve. That that midfield could use a, a player like Yunus Musa. So I don't know if you'd want to play with. They have Allegri. one called Weston McKinney. They just got to bring uh, him back. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Allegri doesn't necessarily play the the best style, but a uh, Milan Inter, um, I could see Yunus Musa fitting in perfectly there. And Syria just it, it they take care of the ball more. It's not so much the frantic tempo that we get in the English Premier League, which is is good and for some players, and and we've seen other players struggle with that same same system, and especially if you're on a team that doesn't get the ball and right, doesn't have right. options. Yeah. Uh, a la Weston McKinney at Leeds United, N- not necessarily the best fit for him. Or even, or and, even Josh, Josh Sargent at Norwich the, the mm-hmm. season before, right? Where right. Oh, he's going there, but he, his team has the ball like 17% of the time. It sucks. 
And and same for Josh Sargent when he went to the Bundesliga. When when you play with a team that is on the back foot all the damn time and you're fighting relegation, for some players, it's great. And for other players, it really sets you back. And you don't get the opportunity to to grow and and show what you're capable of. So I think Yunus Musa, he'll be fine. And he always has Gattuso to be his reference in Italy, which is also a coach that was super high on Yunus Musa and obviously has the connections to to a Milan or or just to any Serie A team uh, in in particular. So I I think Yunus Musa will be fine. He's our probably our most technically gifted player because of his education in in England, particularly Arsenal. So I. I'm a big fan of his, and I think he'll he'll be he'll do better once he leaves uh, Valencia and, and puts himself in a in a better club situation. Now, Chuck, I was going to come back to you as a resident number nine, but I'm actually going to go to Ricardo Pepe's number one fan because this is about Ricardo Pepe. <laughs> yes, and apparently Heath, as his number one fan, now Pepe scored 11 goals in 24 games in the Eredivisie this season for Groningen, who are going down, which actually kind of speaks to his quality because they're not scoring a lot of goals, but he's still making it happen that he might be headed to Crystal Palace. And apparently, his parent club, Augsburg, is willing to let him go for 16 million euros. What well, Jimmy, you, who owns Augsburg Palace? and owns Crystal Palace? David Blitzer. Okay, the same there guy. Owns both the clubs. Uh, and actually, you know, with, with what they've been trying to do, uh, Blitzer-Harris is trying to create that vertical integration between clubs. They haven't been able to do that. Crystal Palace has sort of just lived off on its own Island in their in their club investments. Um, I don't like that move for Ricardo Pepe. Uh, I know that there's a, a a will to keep him in house and 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 part of uh, that investment see its way. If it goes from that number to that number, it's pretty much living within the same sort of ecosystem in terms of uh, ownership groups. Uh, but again, I don't I don't love it. Um, I I don't want to see him go to the Premier League. I think it's another leap too far where the chances will be too few and far between. And also, just like he's he's not there yet as a player, right? If if he was that good, he would have done something at Augsburg. Like he is good and he is developing, but he needs to be in a place where he can continue to develop. Give me two more full seasons in the Eredivisie. PSV likely win it, or Asad Akmar um, at the top of the table. Ajax probably won't win, so there's a, there's an opportunity to be in a in a in a, in a side that's competing for for a championship. If he were to go to a bigger club in the Eredivisie, um, and then in one year, if he if he hits that twenty goal mark, then Go wherever you want. Um, but I, I don't love the idea of, of the Premier League anywhere across the board for him because either it's too big or it's too chaotic. And and all of that right now, I think it's just a step, it's a step too much. And and yeah, I, I don't I, I I get it from a business standpoint. I don't get it from uh from uh, from a development standpoint. We're here and, he, and uh, he'll go. He'll go too. Well, know? yeah, why wouldn't you? I mean the the, the yeah. allure of the Premier League, but uh, I just wanted to say that was you're speaking like a dad there. That was a Heath Pierce speaking as Ricardo Pepe's dad. Number Very one nice fan. <laughs> number one fan and his dad. Chuck, as our resident number nine, I uh, care to chime in on this Ricardo Pepe situation. Uh, I mean, similar to what Heath said, he, he's desperate to leave Augsburg. He doesn't want to go back. That, I think that's a fact. Just you, when you feel treated poorly and and not given a chance, and then you see kind of the quality and, and where they are in, in, in the Bundesliga, you, you don't want to go back. You're so used to being the main man and playing all the minutes. So you want your next move to be at a higher level where you're going to get the same opportunity to play. If Crystal Palace are the only club willing to pay 16 million, pay, pay themselves, to, apparently. <laughs> yes. Then he's going to go because I don't see another club coming in for a fee that's close to that, given how much 
Augsburg paid unless they buy and loan him. Get him. That's true. They could buy and loan him. That's true. You know what happens after this, though, guys? If he doesn't make it at Crystal Palace, you know who buys him? Real Salt Lake, because they own that club too. And that's <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> they, buy, they pay ten for him. Together. They it's pay ten. For, they pay ten for him at that point. You know what I mean? Keep it in house, baby. All right. Wait, before what, we let everybody you go, though. see him, Jimmy. Uh, I think I agree with you guys. I think Crystal Palace. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right fit. I mean, right now they're in survival mode, so I'm kind of just seeing it through that lens. And and Roy Hodgson, fair play to that guy. Three straight wins for Palace to get them out of the relegation scrap. But um, yeah, that 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 still feels like a chaotic situation. They they have one of the top youth academies as well, so I'm sure they already have players that uh, they're already looking at to to. He would be competing with a, a lot of talented yeah. players. That's always going to go no matter what. But, and, and but by I the agree way, with you guys that finding that he just needs that next step. He doesn't need like the end game step of the Premier League. Yeah. And 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 look, Crystal Palace. If you asked me in in 2022, I was like, dude, this team, or even 21, like this team's one or two pieces off of being a, a European type of club. The quality that they had, and then within one year, you see what happens. How competitive and how difficult the Premier League is. That's not a good place for anyone, let alone my favorite player, <laughs> Cardo Pepe. I'm his biggest fan. All right, so we got we got two more topics. One we got to bring up because we saw Chuck put this up on uh, on Morning Footy, but the other one we do want to get into a little bit of the U20 World Cup, and we'll have time to break it down further. But uh, they did announce their groups. I want to get into Chuck's all time best eleven that he ever played with. Okay, and and when you guys take a look at this, for the ones that can see it on YouTube, uh, the best part about this is that Charlie Davies named himself in his own best 11 for his teammates in his career, which I absolutely love. I'm completely thrilled by that. But uh, he has Tim Howard in goal, Demarcus Beasley at left back, Marisa Dew at center back. Mm, he's out there putting his friends out in the field, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's doing the MLS Mo team Adu, of the think, week where it's like playing with a back two so we can make sure we get all those Yeah, Mo Adu, team, Mo, you know? Mo Adu played center back in the Olympics for a little bit, <laughs> and that, that was pretty much it. Oguchi Anyewu at the other center back, Steve Chirundolo. Jermaine Jones, Stuart Holden in the holding midfielder spots, Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Yvonne Perisic. Mm, I love that one. shout. Like and then that. Charlie Davies has himself in his best 11. Charlie, uh, we, we, me and Heath, uh, we don't see our names on this list. I don't know if we made the subs bench or like yeah, what's you're, happening. Yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Game day roster, Jimmy, but you know, like, you know, all 23, it's like World Cup style, all 23 dress. You're somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're still, you're still, I'm, you're I'm still like getting the bonus. I just, yeah. As long still, as I get the bonus, Charlie, I just want the bonus. I just want the bonus. Okay. All right. I, I like the Paris. Where, where, where did you play with Perisic? Uh, Sochaux in France. Liga. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then he went to Club Bruges and then to Dortmund. And then that's where he really made a name for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good player. He plays for Spurs right now, so it's not looking great for him at the moment. But yes. No. No, I, I like those shouts. I mean, um, Heath, any any comments here on Charlie's best 11? Before no, I think obviously, you know, just Charlie throwing Beasley at that left back spot just feels a little a little raw for me. You know what I mean? It's only second to, to putting Bornstein ahead of me uh, <laughs> on that one there. I mean, to be what, fair, you don't, Beasley, you don't like Bees there? No, no. Bro, Bees, young Bees as a winger, like obviously uh, he, he yeah. couldn't, you couldn't touch him. Um, but as a left back, he did spend a lot of his career at left back, so I will give him that. Yeah, Houston um, Dynamo, the yeah. Left, the premier yeah. left back, baby. Yeah, that's true, Charlie. You didn't play with him there, though, so unfortunately. No, played against uh, him. You don't played that. against you him. Listen, I, I feel like teammate. there's a lot of attacking no. options there, and and Charlie could have taken himself out of the best 11 and put Landon or Clint up high, and then put yeah. he's at left wing. But I mean, it's fine. You know, he's got options. He's got he's got some options. I do like that, though. Some good players to play with. Um, 
Looks like Charlie's not going to get that uh, that uh, head coaching role at Atlanta United anytime soon, leaving Bocanegra off the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. That's true. Well, you know. I would have had I would have had uh, a 